0: The Annex Wealth Management Show, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a local fee-only
1: fiduciary providing investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Know the difference. Something old? something new something borrowed something blue we're gonna decode that welcome it's money talk the annex wealth management show we got a ton to talk about so let's get right to it I'm Danny Clayton dr Brian Jacobson is here he's chief economist welcome it's great to be here and we got Dave Spano president and CEO annex wealth management welcome
2: thanks Danny and I gotta tell you we can't really even start the show without talking about what everybody is talking about and that's Nvidia its earnings came out this week 177 percent and guiding higher Brian
3: yeah it is pretty incredible as far as the strength of the earnings growth that they have shown. Uh, going into it, a lot of people were really nervous. You know, if you look at the price action of NVIDIA prior to the release, the stock was down, I think it was about 4 to 6% over the previous few days. Maybe people were thinking, uh, ah, expectations are way too high. But
2: then they just blew those expectations out of the water. They said, hold my beer, look at these numbers. <laughs> and of course, and listen to this, Brian, they're talking about higher earnings because of a continued chip shortage.
3: That's right. Yeah, which is really fascinating because the, oftentimes in the semiconductor industry, you go through these periods where there's almost a glut of chips, that they over-manufacture them, but they are in really a unique position because of the speed of their GPUs, those graphic processor units that they use to power artificial intelligence. And it's going to take a while for other semiconductor companies to really start competing with them. There were some uh, rumors about uh, companies like Intel, TSMC, that they're going to probably be trying to break into that space, but over what time frame? You know, right. I think that's one of the big things that They've really carved out this, what you could call a niche, but it's no longer a niche. This is very mainstream as far as the demand for what they're producing.
2: And this really comes from, Brian, this widespread experimentation of businesses using AI to become more efficient. So this really isn't going away. But listen to these numbers. The Magnificent Seven, the seven stocks that we talk about right now, are approximately 30% of market capitalization of the entire S&P 500. That is bigger than the real estate, utilities, communications, materials, energy, consumer discretion, all added together as a sector. So there's certainly an overweight in those seven companies, but we're gonna have to continue to watch that. So let's go back to where Danny started with something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. When it comes
3: to something old, the thing that really caught my eye this past week was the Nike 225 uh, what were you doing in 1989 do you do you remember back then
2: I was in the business. I was probably having a beer
3: at the corner bar, though. <laughs> yeah, well, also, wasn't there a Taylor Swift album called 1989?
2: Was. I'm not a Swifty, Brian. I really can't speak. If you're saying it, it's
3: true. That's right. Yeah, well, I had to Google it. I have to admit that. But, uh, you know, maybe they were playing some Taylor Swift music from her album of that name, because the Nikkei 225, it had hit a peak back in 1989, and it was on a downward slide, rather dramatic one, and then it had just been floundering. But it has recently recaptured that previous peak. 35 years later. Yeah, only 35 years, right? Now, in fairness, that's on a price Basis. So sometimes with these indices, you have to remember, they're not including the dividends. Not that Japanese stocks are really known for kicking off very high dividends. But if you were to actually do a total return, so consider the dividends that it kicks off and then reinvesting those, it actually reclaimed the peak many, many years ago. But it was pretty notable to see this something
2: old, the Nikkei 225, getting back to 1989. And you talk about that, Brian, and the fact that is there an opportunity To invest, as we talk about the valuation of the S and P 500, to look across both ponds to see where there's an opportunity, and so uh, we are watching that because of the fact that it's starting to get some good momentum. But of course, something old continues to be the Fed Reserve and their minutes.
3: It is, yeah. the, The minutes were a little dated, you know, because it is looking at what they said at the previous meeting, and we had already had plenty of Fed speakers out there. But it was interesting to dig into that and find out that some of the members of the Federal Reserve are a little concerned about keeping rates where they are for too long but the majority are still concerned about cutting too soon so there is this growing divide it's not like it's a 50 50 split but there are fed officials that are really worried that well if they don't start cutting rates as inflation continues to hopefully trend lower that they do run the risk of keeping this soft landing no landing scenario whatever you want to call it that we're going through right now into something a little bit more uh, dangerous, especially yeah. given some of the challenges that smaller banks are experiencing with commercial real estate.
2: And I think we're going to have to look at that because the Fed meetings are coming up, and they are likely not going to cut at this meeting, but they are certainly going to have to look at it as we go into June and the rest of the year as they get closer to their target. That
3: is correct. The, at the next meeting, which is in the middle of March, they are going to be talking about their balance sheet. They've been shrinking the size of their balance sheet. They might want Want to try to taper that what's called quantitative tightening, so slow down the shrinking of it. They don't know what they don't know. Right, And they do know that. And the problem is, in 2019, they shrank their balance sheet a little bit too much, and it caused some financial problems, especially in the overnight market for money with big banks and the such. And so they're very aware that they need to tread carefully here. And so mid-March, they're going to be having that conversation, probably make some announcement at the May meeting about slowing down the pace of the shrinking of the balance sheet. But then that could tee up. Maybe June for an actual rate cut. A lot will depend upon the data that comes out between now and then, though.
2: So let's go to something new, something more important, you know, go away from talking about me, something old, to talking about something like you, something new. <laughs> yeah. So I
3: would say that the market has been hitting new highs, and a lot of times clients get really worried about, you know, is this the time to sell? We look at the fundamentals, valuations, trading opportunities, and so we can't really give a definitive answer one way or the other. It always depends on the context and what you own, knowing what you own, why you own it, and was it at a good price and is it still at a good price. It remember it used to be new highs were old hat. Oftentimes when you look at the data the market is hitting a new high because things are actually pretty good and they are likely to continue that way. When we look at things, you know, we know that service sector spending is beginning to slow a little bit, but nothing dramatic. Manufacturing activity is actually beginning to show maybe a few signs of life. The most recent purchasing manager index from S&P Global, they have one that they just released this past week. It actually hit a 17-month high, so it finally got to above break-even, meaning Mm -hmm. that the manufacturing sector maybe has stopped contracting.
2: When you look at that, folks, the number that we look at is 50. Is it above it, or below it, and that's really the break even that Brian talks about. And then lastly, the eurozone, as we alluded to, may be turning a corner.
3: It might be, and again, it is a, maybe a slow turn. That's one of the things from I think it was in the 1980s that uh, this term eurosclerosis became kind of popular. The idea that they just didn't seem to be able to get out of their own way in terms of policies that they were implementing, the tax environment, regulatory environment, and all that. But they have been in a recession two quarters. Quarters in a row of a decline in GDP. These purchasing manager indices that came out are showing a little bit signs of life, not necessarily in Germany, but in more of these what we call peripheral countries. So, like Spain, Italy, uh, those other ones that uh, remember back in 2011 and 12 were the epicenter of uh, some of the angst with the uh, debt problem over in Europe. But now those are showing some signs of life. The United Kingdom is showing some signs of life, but it's early days. I don't think that they're going to make this massive like v-shaped recovery
2: it's probably going to be more like this nike swoosh shape so moving along we want to get to something borrowed and of course we all know what debt can do but you know we're recycling some headlines from a year ago but nvidia again as we alluded to the start the show really came to the rescue
3: yeah a year ago it was NVIDIA that came to the rescue of the markets. We were experiencing a bit of turbulence early in 2023, and suddenly NVIDIA came out with some blowout earnings. There's the launch of artificial intelligence with open AI. So, uh, once again, NVIDIA to the rescue, and with this AI craze. But again, we can also recycle some of the headlines from, say, March of last year. Remember that whole little banking crisis thing that Mm -hmm. we had with Silicon Valley Bank? Then it was because interest rates had moved up, the value of these banks' holdings of assets, especially treasury securities, had fallen, and that created some problems for those banks. Now the worry is more about commercial real estate. So now that we do know some of these loans are going to reset, need to be refinanced, is that going to start posing a problem? And the Federal Reserve, in their minutes, they actually flagged that as a worry, and they were rather blunt about it. They said the worst is yet to come
2: that's concerning. Of course, we always watch those treasury auctions to see if there's enough demand, but they have been a little weak and let's try to wrap everything up with something blue.
3: I, this one I had to stretch a little bit for, admittedly, but one of the headlines that I saw, you know the airline JetBlue, they were in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. They were just replaced by Uber Technologies. So, the mm-hmm. you know, the, the ride-sharing app, um, they replaced JetBlue in the Dow. And the Dow Jones, remember, is really created by the people at uh, S&P Dow Jones. It's a committee, and they want to pick about 30 stocks that represent the U.S. economy and they decided it was time to kick out one of these airlines and replace it with ride sharing. Another big one was kicking out Walgreens and Mm -hmm. replacing it with Amazon. So they really want this to better reflect the U.S. economy. I think it's a key thing to remember. Some of these indices that you see, they are very different, whether it's the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, or the NASDAQ. But sometimes they are built by a committee. And so if you're tracking an index, you're basically doing active management, but by a committee, where you know they're not necessarily aware or paying attention to fundamentals or anything like that uh, of the companies.
1: So there you go, Danny, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Nicely put together. Our Week in Review, always available on demand at the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcasts and in the Axiom newsletter. Thanks for listening. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ.
0: Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary. Know the
1: difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Dr. Brian Jacobson, you have a busy Monday. Let's talk about that.
3: I do. I'm really looking forward to it. So one of the great things is that I get to go on television. And on Monday, I'm going to be on Yahoo Finance first thing in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I get to be on CNBC. So it's a really exciting day
1: for me. All right. You can be on TV. That's going to be great. You're on all the time anyway, right? <laughs> well,
3: right. you know, it, a lot of what I do, it's actually talking to reporters, and so you'll see it in different publications. The TV thing is a little bit more special to me, though.
1: Great. Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management. You know, remarriages amongst seniors are on the rise. That's good. What's the right way to restructure your estate plan to take care of both your new spouse and your children, your family? That's next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. One team, one plan, one fee.
0: Annex Wealth Management works in your best interest. Can your advisors say that? This
1: is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Alec Durand is an estate planning attorney with Annex. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. You know, we dot eyes, we cross T's here at Annex Wealth Management. When it comes to our clients, details matter. And when it comes to estate planning, there are plenty of details to watch, including some gotchas that can come up with remarriages, which are becoming more common with seniors. And we're going to talk about some of the situations. Alec, the first is making sure
4: your current spouse is protected, and to be clear, we're talking about the new marriage partner. What could go wrong there? Yeah, first and foremost would be not updating your estate plan to account for the fact that you now have a new spouse. Default laws in different states can affect the passage of property if you don't have an estate plan in place, you're going to be subject to the laws of intestacy of the state where you reside, which could unintentionally disinherit your new spouse or leave assets other than how you want them to go. Let's say it's your typical June wedding, right? When do you do this? Do you do this before you're married? Can you do it before you're married? Illegally married? Most often, you're going to need to actually execute any joint estate plan with a new spouse after you're married, but you can definitely do some pre-planning before you married. Particularly, prenuptial agreements become more and more common with second marriages. It can help to protect both any prior children and yourself if you're interested in making sure that your assets pass how you intend. But as far as executing anything jointly, that's typically going to have to wait until after the marriage is done.
1: Estate planning and remarriages. What are the gotchas?
4: Another is failure to protect your children from a prior marriage. How would that spell out? if you were married originally and you had children with your first spouse when you get remarried the law favors spouses generally speaking if you don't have a proper estate plan that's updated you could unintentionally cut out your children from inheriting everything you otherwise want them to receive. So getting an updated plan in place can help to make sure that your children are protected. Alec Durand is an estate
1: planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Talking about remarriage pitfalls, things to watch out for when structuring an estate plan upon remarriage. Failure to protect against depletion of assets. Okay, that sounds lawyerly. What what, what are we talking about there?
4: (laughs) It's basically going back to that earlier example of if you have children from a first marriage. You might want to leave assets to your now spouse, but you also want to make sure that your children ultimately inherit. You can do that. You just need to make sure that you have documents in place to make sure that your surviving spouse is taken care of, but your children will also ultimately be taken care of. Typically, that's going to involve some type of trust-based planning, often use of what's called a marital trust, where you're leaving assets to a surviving spouse. They get the beneficial use of those assets, but they might not have ultimate control over the distributions that's where you can have some third party in place to make sure your surviving spouse is taken care of but doesn't frivolously spend down the assets and disinherit your children here's one that might hurt the most failure to protect your estate from your first spouse Right, that is typically going to happen most commonly with a failure to update beneficiary designations. So, beneficiary designations are assets that pass by contract. Most common ones are going to be life insurance policies, IRAs, 401ks, annuities, brokerage accounts. The named beneficiary of those accounts is almost always going to be the person that actually inherits those assets. If you don't update those designations after your either first marriage ended or after you get remarried, you could unintentionally again disinherit your current spouse or your children if you have any. So it's making sure that you've crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's following your new marriage. Let's talk about the case of a client of Annex Wealth Management,
1: widowed or divorced. They're going to be married again. What's the process that you'd like to see? Bring everything then that currently have?
4: Yeah, I mean, best practice for us, we always would like to see a client's estate plans because it can help us better inform them about their financial planning. We can help guide them through how their assets are going to be transferred and whether their current beneficiary designations are consistent with their estate plan or with their new life situation if they got remarried. So knowing that can be helpful for us. It's not required. Some clients don't want to share that personal information, and that's totally fine. What we would encourage clients to do is at least share those life updates with us. If you're going to get remarried or if you're contemplating divorce, let us know so we can help update your financial plan accordingly, particularly when it comes to updating those beneficiary designations. Estate planning, tax planning,
1: investment retirement planning. It's what we do. You can start at AnnexWealth.com. Alec Duranda is an estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. He and the team watch over these and other little gotchas that our clients want and need to avoid avoid thanks for joining us thank you for having me saturday february 24th bottom of the hour let's get caught up and go to the wtmj breaking news center planning and investing insight from a fee only fiduciary
0: and we put that in writing you're listening to money talk the annex wealth management
1: show on wtmj back on ask annex we've got our guys in the studio to help you out If you got a question, you head to our website, annexwealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. Matt Morrissey, Investment Team Manager and a CFP. Hello. Hey, Danny. And we got Fred Coleman, CFP and a Wealth Manager. Welcome. Welcome, Danny. All right. Question number one Does the hype around AI remind you of the hype around 5G? For me, it does. Tech has been beat up in the last couple of weeks.
5: Yeah, it's a good question. And it's always interesting to go back over time and find different comparisons for things that we're going through. That's very human nature for us to do. To me, though, looking at at AI versus 5G, and I'm certainly no tech expert myself, but I I do really think that, that they're different. AI, to me at least the things that I'm hearing and talking to the guys on our team here is that AI is really just is a global changing technology. It's been around for a while, but we're getting to the spots now that the technology is really caught up to it to allow that to grow and impact all different areas of our lives. To me, 5G is one step along the way of certainly tech advancements as well, too. But in terms of how we get data, how fast we get data, the speed and all of that that goes through, you know, at some point here, we're going to have 6G, you know, just keeps kind of building on itself. But AI, is something that can change not only how do we invest, you know, so we look at those things internally here at Annex, but how does medicine get created and new pills and, and ways to you know heal our bodies, that changes so many other ways that AI is going to change how we write, how we do research, how we do all these different things that could impact our lives. I mean, you think the impact of college students who are trying to use AI to, to go through their classes and teachers have to use AI to try to figure out if the students are doing it, that's so much of a, a next level type thing to me that compared to 5G, which is kind of just an advancement of a current technology.
1: I thought 5G was going to do more. Mm -hmm. I have been underwhelmed. There's two types of 5G. You know, there's a fast and a slow, and I got the slow. (laughs) I'm talking to you, unnamed cellular carrier. (laughs) All right. Okay, next up on Ask Annex, we'll both be 60 this year. I'm 100% ready for retirement. My job stinks, and I don't want to do it anymore, and I've got ample assets. The trick is health insurance between now and Medicare at 65. We have an HSA that we're using as a retirement
6: fund, but that goes away if I retire. It sounds like some planning is needed here. If you have ample assets, then it sounds like you just need to get the plan together. I can understand how healthcare is a concern. Uh, you have a few options. The first option is you can go on COBRA. This will let you stay on your current healthcare plan for 18 months. After that, what you'll need to do is go out onto the marketplace and see what the costs are. And you want to build that into your financial plan. You know, it, it could be less than you think, you know, depending on what your income is. The last option that I think is often overlooked is just getting a job part time for health care. And you can also use as a hobby. Um, I used to work at a job a while back when I was in college and it was a very difficult job. You know, loading boxes onto a truck, sweating four o'clock in the morning. So you probably think about what company this is. And there are a lot of older guys working there. And I would ask them why are you working here? And number one answer was healthcare. So that kind of tells you the importance of that. And it also keeps you busy. Now, when it comes to your health savings account, usually those aren't use it or lose it. So if you have a health savings account, I'd be interested to see what type of account that really is. Because if it's an HSA, then you should have that until you deplete the funds.
1: Fred used to load boxes all night long when he was in college.
5: That's why he's so jacked. Yeah.
6: Yeah. yeah. All right. That's, yeah, I've always been
5: all. more of a desk worker, so I don't yeah. have that same physique that Fred's looking <laughs> for. Yeah, look yeah my
6: knees and back pay for it, though, so. <laughs> Right.
1: Next up, is my timing bad if I want to move cash into a simple S&P 500 fund? Certainly, I'm buying near the top.
5: Yeah, you know, and that's always a risk. And for most people, that tends to be an emotional decision at that point, or, or the fear that they bought the top and the market's never going to go up again. And at that point, you know, we really want to look at is what is your risk tolerance? What is the time period in terms of when you're going to need these funds? You know, what's your overall goal for it? We've said a few weeks back, and it's kind of a fun saying for me, or, or a kind of a glib thing, to the extent is that in order to hit an all-time high, it had to just pass up another all-time high. So you have that cycle that goes through that, that in order to for that money to grow, it's going to have to keep hitting new all-time highs. And that becomes very, very common. But what I would really look at is, again... If you're putting money into the market today, is that a long-term spot for it or or is this short-term? If it's short-term, I I wouldn't invest it. I would find a money market to put it in, a CD, treasuries, things like that that are gonna guarantee a specific interest rate for you, um, specific timing in terms of when you're gonna be able to get that money back and work through things like that. But if this is something that you're not gonna use for years, I think you're really fine with doing that. You do have to take that risk that maybe we are at a little bit of a peak and we get a pullback and you're probably gonna have some regret on on waiting on that. And if you think that's what's going to happen, I would dollar cost that money in that. I would add a little bit at a time over the course of a few weeks, few months, or maybe even longer if this is really long-term money. And that way, at least you don't have the emotional regret of if you ended up hitting a peak.
6: Yeah, man, you hit it right on the head. I wouldn't let this deter you from investing, especially if it's long-term. History tells us that what the top is today is going to look like a bargain years from now. Mm We've hit an all-time high over 350 times since 2013. So that tells you the power of the market. Uh, So don't let the hype of the all-time high deter you from investing. That's Ask Annex. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager, CFP. Thanks. Thank you. Fred, the rock Coleman.
1: Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. (laughs) This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. One team, one plan, one fee. Money Talk is straight
0: talk from a local fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This
1: is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Deanne Phillips is back. She's Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a Wealth Manager. Hello. Hello. You're also a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Mm Mm-hmm what does that entail?
7: Well, that is kind of an adjunct to the certified financial planner, which I am also. So it enables me to really help work with the client to get their arms around what the attorney is proposing for a settlement. So I interpret marital settlement agreements, quadros. We're able to effectively put everything together. I help the client understand their negotiations and the splits and show them what it looks like after.
1: We're going to talk about nine things one needs to know about a divorce. And at the end, we'll add a 10th details about a special presentation that happens two weeks from today at our headquarters in Brookfield. We're talking about divorce because it's an incredibly disruptive event. We look at it from the impact of your financial planning and planning for retirement. 10 things you need to know It's going to be unpleasant is our first.
7: There is really no good divorce, but the best scenario kind of is both parties feel they lost. Divorce generally heralds the separation of an incompatible couple that got together for any number of reasons and only realized maybe too late that they were incompatible. So the process can be emotionally significant life event.
1: Number two, you need an attorney.
7: Yes, we always recommend you get an attorney, one that advocates for you. And remember, it should be somebody you feel comfortable sharing information with. They're going to be there by your side to help you choose your battles and negotiate for you. Now, many will provide free consultations. Go to at least three before deciding which one you want, because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them.
1: The third is where we come in, and that's to plan.
7: Yeah, so many people just want to know, will I be okay after? And again, this is where a CDFA comes in or a financial planning firm. We run projections to check on this, especially during negotiations while the settlement is being decided. But you also, Danny, you need a personal plan too. Where am I going to live during this? How will we work out time sharing with the kids during the divorce process until it's finalized? You also need to understand where. Where cash for your needs will be coming from in the interim before finalization.
1: Ten things one needs to know about divorce. The fourth is document everything in the residence.
7: Yeah, you really should. Take pictures or video. I like video. Every room of the house, uh, cars, cars outside the house, patio area, everything should be accounted for. And it's really best to have physical documentation of your stuff. But, and this is also important, it's cheaper if you can manage the little stuff between the two of you and split it amongst yourselves and not have the attorneys hash out all your household items.
1: Number five is kind of a stuff thing as well, and that's important papers.
7: You need to make copies of any financial paperwork, brokerage statements, cash accounts, 401ks, pension, deferred Bonus payout information and structure, options, grants. Make two to three years worth of copies of your tax returns and all the backup with that. Any important papers that has your child's name on it, birth certificates, passports, marriage license, all your deeds, your car titles, registrations, social security documents don't forget credit card statements, car insurance, health insurance. If you have an estate plan or trust or will, make a copy of that too. You're going to have to disclose a lot of the financials in court anyway. It's easier if you get it on the front end.
1: 10 things you'll need when working on a divorce. Our six is a co-parenting plan, if applicable.
7: Right. So feel free to begin to implement this and work early with your attorney because likely there could be something temporarily put in place while negotiations are being done before it's finalized. 10 things
1: you need to know about divorce. Stay tuned because at the end, we're going to share details on a presentation that is two weeks from today. Number seven, therapy.
7: Yeah, find counseling for yourself and potentially your family. This can be important during the process. The judge will be watching you and your ex to see how you react with each other and handle the discussion. So working through all these feelings with a licensed professional can better help prepare you for the process. And it also assists you in moving forward with your new life. Don't forget to get help for the children too are applicable.
1: Your eighth is debt. How's that work out?
7: Okay, so I know it can freak some people out, but divorces are expensive and you may likely be dealing with debt at the end at some level, some mortgages maybe or assuming car loans or when you budget for your new life and take on new expenses. And you know, this is where our financial planners can assist.
1: Things to know about divorces. Number nine, make a timeline.
7: Divorces are not fast and easy. Usually a typical Wisconsin divorce takes at least six months to one year to finalize. After you file and the papers are served, there's a mandatory 120-day waiting period before your final hearing. And add custody issues into the mix, it can be a lot longer. Of course, the timing is determined on how much arguing back and forth, negotiations and all that during the process. If, if there's a fight, then legally they can drag a divorce out for a very long time.
1: If you're going through this currently, we're ready to help. And that's number 10. You're invited to a special Saturday workshop, Women and Wealth, What Women Need to Know About Divorce. It is two weeks from today.
7: On Saturday, March the 9th, from 8 30 in the morning till noon at our Annex headquarters in Brookfield. So, if you or someone you care about are contemplating divorce in the beginning stages, finding the legal, financial, and emotional aspects overwhelming, or worried about your post divorce picture, Annex is bringing together family law attorneys, financial planners, counselors, and real estate specialists in an interactive, informative workshop for women only to empower them and make the best decisions for them and their family during this time. This is a complimentary workshop to the women in our community that is being co-sponsored by Annex Wealth Management and CARP and Yanku Attorneys at Law.
1: Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, Wealth Manager. CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining
7: us. Thanks for having me.
1: This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. The longest running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. And we're back. Three easy ways to access content from Annex Wealth Management. We're on the air, we're on the stream, on the podcast. This show is going to go live on Spotify and other podcast platforms at the top of the hour. I'm Danny Clayton. In the studio, we've got Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist. Dave Spano is President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management.
2: Yeah, thanks, Danny. You know, I get the great opportunity to move around and talk to lots of folks and be at the grocery store or filling up the car. People do want to talk about NVIDIA. They want to talk about tech stocks. But I would remind people that there's a number of things that we do when we look at investments. And there's these three axioms that we use, Brian, to look at a measurement of each one of these securities.
3: There are. And really, when it comes to kind of assessing the market opportunities, there's a couple different ways in which we do it. There's a top-down approach where you can think about what's the economic context that we're in and likely to go into. And then we think about thematically, where might we want to be overweight or underweight? Where are the opportunities? And then it gets into the positioning, which is oftentimes uh, a very personalized discussion. One of the things that we do is build personalized portfolios. And so it's going to depend upon any sorts of restrictions, legacy securities, tax considerations, and all that. So that's kind of the top down. But when it comes to the bottom-up analysis, we take an approach where we really want to understand the fundamentals. What are the drivers of cash flows to shareholders from the companies that we invest in? And then what are the valuation opportunities? And when it comes to assessing valuations, it's not just a matter of looking at what's the current price relative to like the last 12-month earnings or the book value of the company. It's more forward-looking, trying to anticipate what are the earnings likely to be in the next year, even over the next decade. So taking into consideration those growth opportunities. And then it's really the third pillar is the trading opportunities. What is the market telling us about sentiment and flows and liquidity? So when we bring that all together, it actually shows us that there are still opportunities in this market even though the market as a whole, if you look at the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, you can see how far it has risen year to date or even over the last year. Compare that to some of these multiples. There are lots of other companies out there besides those just in the S&P 500 or Magnificent 7.
2: And the reason why I bring this up, folks, is because you know people shouldn't be overweighted. There should be a certain limit or percentage of your portfolio that you do. That's number one. And number two, Are you doing all of these things? Are you doing the work before putting these things into your portfolio? And if you're flying... Uh, by yourself on this. You know, we have a big team that looks at all of these things. So that's number one. And then I would also caution people, there are a lot of wild cards, even though we expect a good run because it's a presidential election year, and that generally, uh, historically has been good for the markets. There is a number of wild cards that still exist. And of course, geopolitical risk is at the top of that list.
3: Yeah, I think the geopolitical risks are really the biggest risks out there, whether it's what's going on you know, between Russia and Ukraine, the Middle East, upon Possibility of tensions with Taiwan, possibilities in the election year about what's going to change in terms of regulations, and not just in the United States, but even outside of the United States. This is the year of elections. There are more elections taking place in the world this year, if you look at it as far as the percentage of the population affected by elections. So more this year than ever before. And now when I say ever before, I have to say it's back to like the 1900s, because we don't have really good data on going prior to that. So it is a major year where there could be some changes. Uh, One of the big risks that I'm really looking at are some of the valuations with some companies. But I do have to admit, it's only with a concentrated few number of companies. That concentration risk, where you have all of
2: your chips in just right. one batch. Chips, there here, we go with chips again. Next, we're going to talk about potato chips. But <laughs> That's chips right. Chips again, yeah. right. So concentration risk. And again, the last thing we want to get in before the end of the show here is that the Federal Reserve still could be a wild card. And you know, by the way, when you're talking about political risks, too, you're talking about change in policy. But the Federal Reserve, of course, could have a change in policy, and we'll have to see because they still want more information on inflation before they act. And as you talked about early in the show, that could suggest that they hang around too long with too tight of rates. It's a lagging indicator, and that could mean that we could get a slowdown late into 24 or perhaps into 25. All of the reason why, as you know, I pound the table on know what you own, why you own it, and how much you're paying for it.
1: Dave Spano is our president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Danny. It was a great show. Thanks, Brian. Great job. Dr. Brian Jacobson, chief economist. Thank you. Thank you. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. We'd love to do it for you. And we'll do it with Annex Comprehensive Wealth, Annex Private Client, or Annex Ignite. It's time to put things in the hands of seasoned professionals. Click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. A quick reminder, women in wealth, what women need to know about divorce, two weeks from today on the 9th, 8.30, and that's with Carp and Yanku, Annex Wealth Management Headquarters. Details at AnnexWealth.com slash events. See you next Saturday at 10. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Advice and opinions expressed
0: during Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.